Wow, well, I don't know because it's not Sweet Child of Mine. Nope, that is the third single. Oh my God, what did they think? Just was pause the for single? a second. Oh, just I know what Americans it is. and anyone who's ever had ears, they <laughs> listened to this record and they weren't like, let's release Sweet Child of Mine, which was a number one pop hit, like a gargantuan worldwide hit. And it's not the song I'm going to make Jeff play, but. It's a fantastic song. No it's question. one of the rare rock songs that you can play for my daughters. And they're like, wow, that was great. Do the rest of the song sound like that? And I'm like, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> no. I got good news. That song's great. The bad news is you're not going to care for the rest. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. about the listening habits of ourselves on our own podcast. Jeff Simons, we have produced how many podcasts by this time? Uh, it's, what is it, over 80, right? Jeepers. And of those 80, how many have you listened to? Uh, none. <laughs> which, e- which means I'm even with my wife. Yeah. Who is also you're, as, to you're as big a fan of our podcast as your wife. <laughs> Well, I keep repeating all the same jokes. I'm like, hey, I have something clever. And then, I, you know, you guys give me the look like, no, 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 no. Already told that story. <laughs> Meanwhile, Ben Barton, 8 a.m. on Wednesdays. What are you doing? Oh, I'm driving to work and listening to myself <laughs> on the podcast. And I just want to clarify, I killed me. That material is <laughs> awesome. I'll, I'll just be frank. You guys are fine, but I'm amazing. Like just hilarious. So insightful. It's that's a, how it's I treat. feel while we're it's, doing it. I mean, that's my that's my review every time we hang up. I'm like, boy, that, that Ben guy is like the big wheel on the tricycle for sure. I, I picture I picture Ben like rewinding after certain points that he makes. Like, wait a minute, I want to hear that again. Oh, gotta hear it yeah. twice. It's too bad it doesn't sure. have the like noise when you rewind it. No, I was saying I actually listened to it at the gym. I was at the gym today. And I'm like, they're at the gym, like laughing at my own jokes. And I'm like, this is a, a little squirrely. I'll just go ahead and admit it. It's not a great look. <laughs> this is what we do. We are 50 oh, awesome. years of music with 50 year old white guys on the drive in podcast network. Uh, go to the drive in podcast network, musiccitydrivein.com for all the podcasts you want, all the interviews with celebrities, all the movie reviews, television reviews. We've got it all there. So, gentlemen, it is 1987. Yeah. This is actually graduation year. You graduate from high school, correct? Indeed. This is the year, man. This uh, is a big ahead. year. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being great, one being, eh, uh, how did you rate your senior year of high school? Ooh. I'd have to go nine. I had a really good senior year of high school. Holy cow. Really good friends. The band I was in gigged a lot, made a record, was on the radio. Really nice. What was the name of that Super band? sweet first girlfriend. Uh, SFX was the name of the first oh, band. That's correct. I, I and by the way, I just want to clarify. Uh, I have met many of Jeff's friends from high school, and they they just say that that band was amazing. Ah. It was a huge hit. They loved it in Annapolis. That being said, having listened to our own podcast, 
it's my understanding that the last four weeks, Jeff has been like the flat earth. Our band played four songs from no, Thomas Dolby's The we Flat Earth. Good enough. Right. And then, dude, and then you you were like, last week, you were like, oh yeah, we played like six songs from this dumb record. And we I was were... like, who is going to see this band? Who's like, oh, it's the sixth song from the debut record by this boring band. So somebody sent me a tape of, of a bootleg of us um like digitally like said like i found this in my basement i digitized you have to hear this and somebody had bootlegged one of our shows okay we used to play four 55 minute sets that was a show we'd play what? for 55 minutes take a five minute break 55 minutes five minute break 55 minutes five minute break and then an hour That's right insane. so it was basically it was a four hour show we'd start at 7 30 and we play till midnight because we were like well you know we we got to fill the whole night. We never had a band with us on the bill. We've so we are in the house. Our shows also were like, like, I mean, your story is like in 1880, there wasn't much to do. No, we I didn't know. have a radio. Everyone gathered around to hear us for four hours. <laughs> it was crazy. Well, the thing is so funny is um, we played 50 songs in a show. So when you're playing six Smitherin oh. songs, there's still 44 <laughs> other songs. Oh my God. But on this tape, I would end, think by the six Smitherin song, oh. people might've had it. So here's the thing. At this show, there's like, it's a big, there's like a couple hundred people when it starts. At the end, after four hours of punishing full volume, like no ballads, just bang, 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 bang for three hours, you hear us finish a song and there's like 25 people left. And I say with, with meaning it, yeah, thanks for staying. Like I'm all <laughs> pissed. I'm pissed at the 300 people that peeled off after three hours and 45 minutes. It was the funniest thing I've ever heard me say. That I was laughing. Insane. I still, it's still, I just love it. I'm, I'm so grateful to. Uh, and just to clarify, if you press that on vinyl, that's a triple live album. Am I right? Oh, no, we did not. We made it a actually, quadruple live album. Like we went many, in. We went how many vinyl records is that four hour show? I think that's. It would have, it would have had to have been eight right or no six it would have been a six or seven six or seven <laughs> album oh man that'd have been great uh, take that bruce springsteen um we got to share that with our listeners i think they i mean if, they have, up. if they have the time to listen to our podcast <laughs> they probably have the time nobody has time for that these are nobody. busy professionals come on <laughs> um all right ben barton uh you senior year of high school senior year of high school uh up and down but mostly up i'm gonna put it at 7.5 Nice. Okay, pretty solid, pretty solid. Oh, uh, Jeff mentioned, I'll just give a brisk version of one of the things that went wrong in my senior year of high school. Uh-oh. Oh, so um, my senior year of high school, you do, it was just semesters. So my second semester, and it's divided into three sections where you get a fake uh, report card, a fake report card, and a real report card. Okay. I get my schedule. The last class on my schedule is gym. And I'm like, second semester senior year man they're sending me a message i go ahead and cut <laughs> gym class like 10 times the first trimester just like i was just like i don't feel like going i just went off and right. I with my friends or my sure. girlfriend or whatever else anyway i get the first grade thing it comes in everything's fine i'm on pace to graduate except for gym f uh -oh. just failing gym so gym class in brooklyn new york and public schools 125 kids oh my and god run by evil sadists just like the <laughs> cruelest most evil people as an example of evil sadism <laughs> they would make everybody do a chin-up so you have 120 it's only boys 125 boys from 9th grade to 12th grade waiting in line to do a chin-up just one chin-up 
No, no. If you could do one chin up, uh-huh. then they'd help you on the further chin ups. But if you couldn't do one chin up, they just let you hang. And you'd just be hanging there, like sweating, <laughs> trying to pull up. It's Mr. Obvious. He was the assistant coach of the football team. And then Mr. Chikarian. Those are the two gym teachers. So Mr. Arbius, if you couldn't do a chin-up, he would just sit there and laugh, like, ha, 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 ha. And he was like a big, fat job of the hut guy just pointing at you laughing. That's the level of sadism that we're doing. Da-da, wookie chin-up. And of course, there's like another hundred kids behind you, all of whom are laughing at you, and you can't do a chin-up. By the time I got to senior year, I could do a chin-up. I was like, I've got it made. I'm going to be fine. But I mean, ninth grade was miserable, really tough. Anyhow, so I fail. I go to see Mr. Arbus. I'm like, Mr. Arbus, what's going on? Like, I'm a senior. You know how this goes. And he goes, Barton, you cut. And when you cut, you fail. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, that's fine. I understand that. He's like, no, you don't understand, Barton. There's nothing you can do now. You're in my hands and you're okay. going to fail. <laughs> I was like, well, maybe there's something I could do. And he was like, you got to come to class every day early, Barton. You got to show me something. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I stop cutting. I make it all the way through the second trimester. Second fake grade comes out still just like a zero. Like I'm just a hard <laughs> fail. At this point, they move me out of my senior homeroom into a junior homeroom. And they're like, you're not graduating. Like you're done. What? Like you're, you're going to fail. You're in this failing grade where like, we're just going into prep. For oh you. my God. So I go to Mr. Arbus. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm headed off to college. Like surely you're going to help me out here. And he's like, Oh no, Martin, I'm not going to help you out. <laughs> because Martin, I think I told you when you cut, what happens? You fail. You fail. <laughs> so I was like, dude, I haven't cut since then. He's like, but it's too late, Martin. It's too late. And he's like, and when you fail, you go to summer school and i was like you're not gonna make he was like oh you go to summer school barton and i went to midwood high school he was like you don't go to summer school in midwood barton you go in madison and then madison was famous because they had what a fancy person like me would call a portcullis but was what mr arbius called a gate they had a gate that rolled down to hold people into the school at the time And he was like, they're going to lock you in, Barton. They're going to put you behind the gate. <laughs> I was like, so my parents are freaking out. They're like, dude, you might even not get to go to college. Like, they're going to notify college you didn't graduate. And I was like, you know, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. I promise you it's going to work out. This is when you became my hero and I didn't even know you yet. So, the, so we have the senior prom. And the senior prom is, because it's in New York, it's on like a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. It's a, it's a week night because we get this really nice venue. We go, we have the senior prom. I rent the tux. I rent the limo. I've got a lovely girlfriend. We spend the whole night out dancing. We go out to watch the sunrise on the beach Okay. at uh, Manhattan Beach. Then I asked the limo to take me back in my tuxedo to high school where I arrive in time for gym class. I've skipped the whole rest of the day. I roll into gym class in my tuxedo. Don't change into my shorts. Just sit down. There's 125 kids there and one kid in the tuxedo. And Mr. Arby's goes, Barton, is that you, Barton? Stand up. So I stand in my tuxedo. He goes, I like your style. You pass, Barton. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh... it. 
That's the that man is a tyrant. Oh man, he was so bad. He was a monster. He, really was. he was a monster. Ah. He has all the power. Just mock, mock young boys trying to be strong. Oh, oh yeah, for oh, sure. my god. That's actually not even the best gym school uh story that Ben has, but I won't make him tell anymore on the air. But yeah, I mean I I you could make a whole comedy record of Ben goes to gym class at Midwood High School. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. Sorry, Timmy. I hijacked for a minute. No, that's fun. Uh, <laughs> that, guy, that guy's voice is in my head now. 1987. What a year. Uh, Y'all know what album we were listening to. It is the Grammy winner. It's the Grammy winner. The Joshua Tree by U2. Jeff Simons, what song? Jeff, where'd you go? You went to some place. I went to, I was, I'm muted because I was causing uh, problems in the, <laughs> in the last episode with my live mic on it. That song is so great. You know, it's so funny. That's that record's damn near perfect. Like it, it peters out at the end with exit and mothers of the disappeared, neither of which is a bad song, but I mean, good Lord. One through nine is, yeah. is just as strong as music gets. It's really, and I also, feel like, like and I, I think that Timmy's going to agree with me on this for sure. Like they're like quasi spirituality really, really, really speaks to me. Like yeah. it, there's some legit Christian songs by them where I'm yeah. like, well, this is a, a, a like a, a religion I can believe in. You know what I mean? And this is one of right. those, like, it's just so beautiful. Their yeah, description of nature bad. and the feeling of it. Like, it's like, it's almost like Spinoza. You know what I mean? Like, it's just gorgeous. Well, it's super transcendental. I mean, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a I am a transcendentalist at heart, and like this, these guys nail that completely. I feel like U2 is the band where we're the exact right age. We hit them right at the right time. Like a lot of the music we love, we were on the we were on the other side of right. Like they'd already peaked or they were already famous, but like we grew up right when U2 blew up. And I mean, you know, I was 18 years old when this, when I saw this show at JFK stadium with 106,000 other people at yeah. the absolute apex of this band's career. And so they will always like these, this record just, I, you know, I can't hear any of these songs and not just immediately like, you know, I start speeding and I'm screaming along. And like, I just, I just love this record. I just yeah, love we, it. That's an actual great um, discussion topic for us to cover, not for today, but like peak, and at the time in our lives yeah yeah this is a good one but this wouldn't even be like top five for me and i love that but this wouldn't be 
would be. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there was, I, yeah, I don't think even U2 was my favorite band when they were, when they should have been my favorite band. But I remember being in that stadium and like, you know, I am seeing this band at the absolute top of the iceberg. Top of Mount just, Everest. Yeah. 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 And so, that was, great. so, so great. So great. All right. <clears throat> well, let's move on. We are going to talk about events in 1987. Uh, whose brain is the quickest right here on a Wednesday night at 9, 19 p.m. In 1987, the first woman is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who is it? Tina Turner. Got to be somebody earlier than that, Aretha Franklin. Aretha Franklin is the correct answer. Is the well done inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Ben Barton. That's a long walk home for you after. No, it's not. <laughs> At least he didn't say like Joan Jett or somebody like that. You know, <laughs> Tina Turner is uh, a good guess. Ronald Reagan nominates Robert Bork to the Supreme Court. <laughs> ben Barton, you'd be interested to know. That um, for the situation, the Situate High School newspaper, I wrote an opinion piece <laughs> defending Robert Bork and his appointment or his nomination to be a Supreme Court justice. Uh, some of the other editors came after me and wrote their own opinion piece, but I felt I defended Robert Bork quite well. Nice. What was your defense? Yeah, I really didn't know very much. Um, I just kind of heard that he, um, I think my last line was, Bork doesn't want, Bork wants to defend the Constitution, not rewrite it. I think I did something Well like done, that. Timmy. You yeah, captured that. Good. That's a nice bumper sticker for Robert Bork, for sure. But now I never wanted, Bork. I never thought Bork should be Supreme Court uh, because he sounds way too much like the Swedish chef's noise. <laughs> bork, bork, bork. That's all I could think of the whole time those confirmation hearings were happening. Like, I kept waiting for, like, the flame is okie dokie. Bork, bork, bork. Like, that's, that's all I had in my head because that's the kind of deep intellectual I was. Yeah, in that's movie. good stuff. Yeah. Now, Ben, I don't know what, what kept him off the court. He was a little too, uh, so it's right. Really, it's actually sort of it's sort of interesting. Like uh, Nixon had a series of guys who got bounced, and then Bork got bounced, um, and basically, like it's a lot higher salience now to get on the Supreme Court, and that's not necessarily good. Like the the way that the confirmation process works now is really super poisonous, and, right. and Bork is one of the people that that people point to. Um, and honestly, the thing that's a little bit hard about it is he basically got bounced for his views, um, some of which were the views of Ronald Reagan. Um, so right. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have mixed opinions about it. He wasn't like, he didn't get bounced cause he was dumb. He didn't get bounced cause he smoked yeah. pot. He didn't get bounced cause he sexually harassed somebody. He got bounced because of his views. Yeah. Which were some, I mean, he was definitely anti-abortion. Um, and yeah. he was a pretty strict constructionist, but yeah. the funny thing is that like, this is one of the things like you fight against somebody for their views and then pretty soon there's four other guys in the court or six other guys in the court yeah. who have all the same views. I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's where we are. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast 
as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electric Acid. All right, uh, we haven't had the invitation to cynicism question in a long time, really since season one, but here it is, your invitation to cynicism. In Did 19- the situation suck in 1987? <laughs> 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 it did not. How dare you, sir? Wait, you're not uh, letting me and Jeff talk? <laughs> my question is about a song that comes out in 1987. Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. Ah, uh, the Rick Roll. Were we right in 1987 to hate that song? Or... Given what's been happening in the last, oh, I don't know, uh, 30 years regarding that song, uh, should we have given it more of a chance and, and kind of embraced the fun side of music? Let me just say this. I went to a graduation party <clears throat> in 1991 when I first moved to California, and it was my first time attending a party at a, ma- at a real legitimate mansion. Like, this was in the backyard of a Vanderbilt level wow. rich guy and his colossal estate. He was having a graduation party for his daughter from college. And I went and it had a, they had a help yourself margarita machine. Wow. Like it was like a, like a Slurpee nice. machine, but it was yeah. margaritas. There was a trampoline. There was, and there was karaoke. Okay. So things got really out of hand and really sloppy really quickly. It was fantastic. And the dad who was throwing the party took his karaoke really seriously. And he made me do You've Lost That Love and Feeling with him, where I did the low part and he did the high part. Oh, Oh, man. Immediately after that, one of First of all, you're really lucky to get molested. Like, it's like just the next thing that was going to happen was that for sure. Dude, if I'd gotten blackout, I'd probably still be locked in a basement with like a ball gag in a trunk. Okay, okay, okay. But- Tim's trying to keep it. I don't listen to this. I don't know what embarrassing <laughs> things I'm saying. I don't know where the line is. <laughs> anyway, so we do that, and people are politely applauding because is that. And then the daughter's boyfriend's like, "I've got next. I've got next." He can barely stand, and he chooses never going to give you up. And he's so drunk he can't keep the mic in front of him, so it's doing that like never gonna get. I gotta say, and then he can't, he's too drunk to read the lyrics. Oh, so gosh. he gets to the first verse, and instead of saying whatever Rick actually says, and it's the one time he gets the mic like right up close, he yells, Oh, my bungholes itching. <laughs> and he kind of falls over and crawls away. And that was the greatest karaoke performance I've ever seen in my entire really life. Good. Hard to so talk. That about. version, that version of never gonna give you up, I have no cynicism for at all. It was the greatest. So the thing that's funny for me is that I didn't even like I it was like I didn't even really notice it. It wasn't a hated song. Do you know what oh. I mean? Like it was a song where I was just like, meh about. And then when okay. it came back, I was like, oh, like that song is a big meme and a joke now. Like I just don't understand why it's not any more objectionable than a lot of songs that came out in 1987. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's amazing though that our kids know this song. Like, oh yeah, totally. kind of forgettable pop hit from 1987, and they know every word. Bizarre. Yeah. All right, uh, let's do this. We're 
we're going to dive into Michael Jackson. Yes. In 1987, he releases Bad. Yes. Ben made a passing comment back in 84 saying that he prefers Bad to Thriller. That wasn't exactly what I said, and I'm ready to make a clarification. Are you ready? Clarify, go. Here's what I said. The best songs on Bad (laughs) are better than the best songs on Thriller. And then I went and looked at it. Okay, yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. I think if you had a Michael Jackson snake draft for Beck's best songs. Okay. What do you think, in your opinion, what would be the first song selected from Thriller? Billie Jean. Oh, definitely not. And that's also false because you chose Thriller as your album and you chose a different song than Billie Jean to play. (laughs) Yeah, but that's okay. The best song on Thriller is not (laughs) Billie Jean and you agree with me because you chose Want to Be Starting Something. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did choose that. All right, so Want to Be Starting Something, in my opinion, is the best song on Thriller. Okay. Um, I would take Don't Stop Till You Get Enough before that song. Okay. And I would take Bad and Smooth Criminal before I chose that song. Like if you're doing a snake draft, of, and then it would be a long time before I got to, back to I back. guess it would be Thriller that would be my second favorite song. Oh, I guess it beat it. I don't know. It's between beat, beat it. What's the matter with you? Beat it is a great song. Don't You're not picking Thriller over beat it. I don't know. I, I kind of like Thriller. But anyhow, wow. I'm okay. just saying, like, Bad and Smooth Criminal are fantastic songs. Those are good. And I would say better than anything on Thriller. That's how I feel about it. Better. So I, wow. I actually just listened to Thriller all the way through and then Bad all the way through on back-to-back mornings because there's wow. a kid I drive to school in the van <laughs> who only listens to Michael Jackson. Wow. And brought the CDs like when I get in the car in the morning, this like he doesn't even say anything. I just see this little silver flash as he tries to get me to put the Michael Jackson CD into the CD player. Wow. So I get I told him, like, you can have them back to back this week and then don't bring a CD for a month because I'm done. So I actually <laughs> did what nobody has done of our age and generation a long time. I listened to Thriller without interruption. OK. And the next one I listened to Bad without interruption. And I greatly preferred the experience of listening to Thriller because maybe the highs are higher on bad. And I think it's debatable, but the lows on bad are Liberian girl. Oh boy. I'm sorry. There's a song called Liberian girl. There's a song called Liberian girl. By the way, it was one of the singles. It's like the fifth single off of there. I think smooth criminal is like the sixth single. I think Liberian girl might've come out before. You know what's even crazier is Leave Me Alone, which was on Moonwalker, isn't on the original Bads. It's a bonus track on the CD. Like, how did they leave Leave Me Alone off that record? The back-to-back of Speed Demon and Liberian Girl, I was like, yeah, uh, were we all, like, huffing paint? This record sucks. And then it recovers. Like, Bad, the way you make me feel, I was toe-tapping. And then I got, I mean, Speed Demon's bad. Liberian Girl's not only bad, it's almost five minutes long. I mean, it's just... yeah. The it's the night so single. Bad. I had it wrong. It's the night single. Which is a lot of singles. Oh, yeah. Smooth Criminal, though, is the seventh single. Here are songs yeah. that were released before Smooth Criminal. <laughs> I, know, I Just Can't Stop Loving You. That's the oh. ballad. That's the first single. Bad, which is fair. That song's great. The Way You Make Me Feel, which is a bad song, but was a hit. Man in the Mirror, bad song. Dirty <laughs> Diana and Another Part of Me. What, how does Another Part of Me go, Jeff? Another part of me. Before Smooth Criminal, what were they thinking? That's insane. Yeah. 
it's actually funny to listen to those records away like i mean because these kids are not experiencing as part of a phenomenon like and i'm actually amazed they like it at all like thriller sounds like a record that was released along with a television cartoon for children yeah you know what i mean like Mm-hmm. The girl is mine is unforgivable. Oh, yeah. At the end when they're like, she's mine. No, she's mine. You guys no, she's mine. love like, hating that song. She is neither one of y'all's for sure. All right. <laughs> like, bad. All right. Well, let's uh let's move on in the interest of time. And let's go to the because I've got stuff that's gonna take up time. And I think the number one selling album is, is gonna is gonna invite Ben Barton to express. Well, so now I I previewed some of these and i'm going to play what i think is the i'm just going to play the beginning of one of the tracks okay and for me it's the it's the beginning that reveals everything i dislike about about this group okay ready this is the beginning of track four it's the number one album slippery when wet by bon jovi You have to get your browser open, man. That's Social Disease by your friends Bon Jovi from the Slippery One Rent record. That's how that song starts. Wait, Social Disease? Wait, that's the, that, song, that record came out in 86, but that's the best-selling record of 87? Yep. Yeah. And <laughs> that's I mean, hilarious. That makes me happy I did not choose that record, although I'm still, I'm just still riding for it. I still mean, love it. Holy crap. It's so bad. It's I so wanted bad. Dead so or Alive. That's just how I do it. Oh, what, what is this the one with uh johnny works down on the docks yeah, yeah. So you give love a bad name living on a prayer wanted dead or alive but it has that song it has a, it has a song called wild in the streets which i just do not believe about these guys and then it has and then and, and i really it has the first rec- song is called let it rock it's intros somehow worse than the intro of the song i just oh, played for you come on listen how bad this is the first 30 seconds of this album. I can't believe anybody like, like got, I mean, I imagine you would buy it for living on a prayer and then you put it in like, oh no, huge error and immediately return it to the store. <laughs> Listen to this. I mean, I could right go there. on. It keeps going. It's an Emerson, Lake, and Palmer song. It's Deep Purple. It's also, How long is that song? It's songs five minutes and 38 seconds long. That's and amazing. hilariously, it's called Let It Rock, which it, yes! very much, it is very much not doing over the course of those minutes. Well, they were to turn it around. You know, the That's keyboard amazing. player of Bon Jovi, I saw him interviewed when Slippery Went Wet. He went to Juilliard, the keyboard player of Bon Jovi, and they're like, wow, how did you, a classically trained musician, end up in Bon Jovi? And he looked at the camera and went, 
you don't get Poontang playing Beethoven. Oh, and I was like, you God. don't get Poontang, period. <laughs> but I was just like, I was everything I hated about that band in like eight seconds was that oh, guy sneering at you. Know? That's All right. Amazing. Here's what we got left. We have, what are we, we're at 34 minutes. Oh my God. All right. Real quick, you're going to, uh, I'm keeping you to. 50. I love that Tim has already decided it's know, a bad episode. It's the best out. episode we've ever had. I'm so happy. I'm keeping you to 15 words or less for your answer. But in 1987, the pilot of a British aerospace Harrier jet, one of those Harrier jump jets, accidentally ejects from the plane. I think we heard that at the beginning of track four. Hey, <laughs> The plane anyway, that counts flies, on your 15 words. <laughs> the plane flies by itself until it runs out of fuel and eventually crashes into the Irish Sea. And I'm just thinking, like, what a bad day for that pilot. Like, as he's hanging, parachuting down after having accidentally uh, gotten out of this million-dollar jet. And I was like, what's the worst day of work that you've ever had? Because now you can just compare it to this guy. Go ahead. 15 words or less. Worst thing you've ever done where you're like, oh, my God, I am not an adult. I'm going to be fired. I'll go first so you guys can still think. I was once uh, working at a car wash when I was 19 years old. It's like 37 <laughs> words already. <laughs> not that part. 15 seconds or less. Uh, left a car and drive. Jumped out of the car. Car went through and rammed a BMW in the car wash because it idled very fast. That was pretty bad. I don't so think I I got, I've gotten oh. fired from a bunch of jobs, but I'm not going to tell a regular job. I'll tell an actual professional job story. Okay. I had um, gum surgery and they gave me heavy painkillers after the gum surgery. And I scheduled it during the interim between finals and the summer. Uh oh. But because I taught in the clinic, there were still some court dates. And so, but of course, uh, and so I had a pair of students who had graduated, who came back to do a court date. They showed up in court to meet me and I was not there. Oh dear. They and then they, they, they managed to fix it. They didn't have to appear in court. It worked out. And they came back to my office and they were like, where were you, man? And I was so heavily medicated. I was like, now is when I should feel shame. <laughs> Shame is the emotion that I'm looking for. And yet it's currently unavailable to me, given how medicated I am. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. I don't think I can share my worst day at work because I'm sure I signed some kind of confidentiality agreement. About okay, good, good. Yeah, so, we don't want to. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good, good. But I once shoveled, um, I once shoveled uh, an entire two-ton truck worth of manure out of a truck into individual bags at a hardware store job that I had. And it took six hours, two of us just shoveling shit all day. And when we were done, the boss came out. This is in Maryland in 95 degrees summer heat. He's like, well, you guys look really beat. He's like, why don't you guys both go get yourself a Coke? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, boss. All right. Generous, generous guy. Yes. In 1987. Let's go. Artist, pop, soup. Andy Warhol. Good. Piano, flamboyant. Oh, Liberace. Liberace. I got that one. That was me. I'm going to claim All that right. one. I'm going to give it to you. This one's hard. Actor, emergency, bonanza. 
Battlestar Galactica. Lauren Green. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, needed, he needed Battlestar to get I him. needed Alpo. Alpo, and I would have gotten it immediately. Oh, that's good. Remember, he hawked Alpo for like right, 20 last, minutes. Last death of 1987. This one makes me sad. Poet, essayist, Beale Street. Uh, go tell it on the mountain. Uh, James Baldwin. There you go, James oh, yeah. Baldwin. Oh, that was 1987. In a nutshell, let's get to our three albums. Our three albums. I'm calling an audible at the last minute because the album I was going to pick is also not on Spotify. And if I pick two albums in a row that people can't listen to, I'm just going to say jackass. Uh, I thought you were going to say it was Bon Jovi and we covered No, no, no. So this is a band we have not talked about. Um, this is not in my top five records of 87, but we've talked about all the artists that are. Um, and I probably like the actual album that came out the year before a little bit better. But this is actually a really great way to, to try this band on if you haven't yet, or um, but you probably have. Um, I'm going to pick the Smiths for 1987. And I'm gonna Let's pick the go. I'm gonna pick the collection louder than bombs. What's partially cheating here is I did not get the Smiths in high school. I saw them live. I'm one of the few Americans you can say I saw the Smiths live on the Queen is Dead tour at the Smith Center in George Washington with with three of my high school buddies. We were we were super hip. We were there before they blew up. And I do really like the record The Queen is Dead now. And I really like this collection. But the Smiths were a little jangly. They were super English. They didn't, and they never really rocked out the way that I was looking for. Like, if you were listening to Who's For Do all day, the Smiths came off as a band that's lacking in a little bit of that energy, right? Just, I also- Just for our English audience, because uh, we do have a lot of listeners in England. Uh, what did you mean when you said they were super English? Well, they were English in the sense that they were writing about places I'd never heard of. Like, the reference points in the songs don't help you. Like, you know, when they write it, you know, they write about the old, they're writing about places on the London tube that if you're a Londoner, you recognize. But if you're me, you're like, I wonder what that is. Right. Also, there's a uh, British bands tend to tended, especially in the 80s, to have a like a, a visual presentation that went along with the audio presentation. Like they paid attention to what they looked like and sounded like and they looked <clears throat> like they belonged together. Right. There were a lot of British acts in the 80s that you know they they were put together in ways that american american acts were still just kind of rolling onto the stage in t-shirts right and that was much more my my thing so i always felt a little intimidated by english acts that were obviously fashion statements as much as musical statements so that's what i meant by by english i didn't mean right. it as an insult i just i was a suburban angry american kid um, and then morrissey's voice it took me a long time right morrissey's sure. voice is very distinct um and I found it performative in nature, which of course it very obviously is, but I was, I found that to be a deterrent to my connection to it, right? And it wasn't just the kind of, there was obviously a homoerotic quality of the Smiths and there was like a gender bending quality, like that wasn't it, if I'm really honest. And it's not like I was like the most open-minded 17 year old Marylander, but, but that it was really that his voice sounded so stylistic as to be distracting to me like i liked voices that sounded like they kind of rose from anyone 
Like I, and I, and it was true of like other male voices. Like I'm not a huge Frank Sinatra guy because Sinatra sounds so much like Sinatra that I can't lose myself in the music. I'm like, I am listening to Frank Sinatra. And I feel that I felt that way for a long time about the Smiths. I've since gotten past it, not because of Morrissey, who's become more and more of an old crank and is not aging well, but because of the brilliant guitar work of Johnny Marr. I didn't appreciate what a profound technician this guy was and what a masterclass writer of parts he was until I got older. If you listen to the Smiths, what you're really listening to is just a masterclass and using an electric guitar sonically in four or five different ways in the same song. Like Mars, not a flashy soloist, but he's good, but he's a brilliant tactician when he's like, I'll take these chords and then I'll change the voicing and then I'll change the voicing and I'll put them on top of each other. And I'll put one in the left channel and one in the light channel. And he's a great rhythm guitar player. He plays all these really intricate, fast strumming patterns without, without losing the specificity. Um, and that's really what, what pulled me back to the Smiths. I, I rediscovered the Smiths maybe, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago. And I fell really hard for them in a way that I never did in high school. And Loud on the Bombs is, uh, their, their discography is a mess because all the How American- How albums are we talking? Well, there's only, there's only the Smiths, Meet is Murder and The Queen is Dead. And then they make a record called Strange Ways, Here They Come right before they break up. But they were, they were like the Beatles and that they made a zillion <clears throat> singles and none of them are on the records. So Loud on the Bombs is a collection of British A and B sides. So it's, it's up and down, right? There's all these killer A sides. Some of the B sides are great. Some of them aren't so great. Some of these songs were album tracks in England, but not America. Some of them are specific to this collection and others like the Smiths catalog is hodgepodgey. But this is a great place to start because it's, it, I think it's like 20, 25 songs and it's, it, it works as a mixtape, right? And it's 25 songs is only an hour and five minutes. Like, these guys write three minute, three minute, 30 second, like pop songs. Like, you know, they, they don't, they don't spend a lot of time boring you with stuff you don't need to hear. Like each song is really tightly packed and I'm going to play um, half, half of one of my favorite Smith songs, which is only two minutes and five seconds long. And, and the thing that I'll, I'll just say about it before I play it is um, the lyrics are pretty, are, are imagistic and cool, but what I just love about it, right? You have a rock solid bass and drum rhythm section that are no, not to do too much to stay out of Johnny Marr's way. And then you just get to hear Marr turn every moment of the song into something different. Like each moment of the song isn't just a different set of chords, it's a different flavor. It's like the sun parts, then the clouds come back in and there's all this kind of, it's like, you know, eating ice cream and realizing that there, there are, you know pop rocks in it like things just happen all over the all over your headphones um and i just find it i find it charm charming is uh, the how i would describe johnny mars playing and this is a band whose first single is called this charming man so i probably should have put that together um, <laughs> 40 years ago but this is called william it was really nothing from my 1987 pick uh the smiths collection louder than bomb strange ways here we come by the smiths the rain falls hard on a humdrum town This town has dragged you down oh, The rain falls hard on a humdrum town This town has dragged you down And everybody's got to live their life And God knows I've got to live mine God knows I've got to live mine 
got one of the most distinct voice or, or it maybe not even voice like styling of his presentation of words like it's bizarre and it's so great i see i don't think it's so great i'm i morrissey's no, still it, like it, it, the piece of this band i like Definitely. the least but i've learned how to i've learned that it really works with this music like the, right. the marriage between and the thing that's crazy about the smiths is they recorded without him like they recorded the whole track the whole thing nothing and the morrissey would hear it write a melody write lyrics record over it and the band be like oh well that's what the song is <laughs> like that's so Mar, Mar presented Morrissey with absolutely complete demos of instrumentals. And then Morrissey put those vocals and, and, and vocal uh, melodies on top. So it's a really interesting That's fascinating. marriage of two people not really working together. And, and, they, and it is that combination that makes them special. But, but I still, even listening to it now, like there are moments, I still have these moments where I'm like, Morrissey distracts me a little bit. But then I, it, I now as a later listener, it it's more than mitigated by how many how much cool yeah. stuff's happening around him. So I'm trying to picture him like sitting there listening to the song and being like, "Girlfriend in a coma." Yeah, that's the lyric that I want out of this. It's hilarious. Yeah. So this is a band that I hated at the time, and I've worked really hard to like since. Um, you heard my thoughts on Depeche Mode, which I hated at the time and haven't right. worked hard to like. But this is a band that I've worked really hard to like, and Jeff's got it completely right. Um, I mean, it, it's they're like they're a little bit like U2 or REM um, in that the singer is really, really distinctive, and the guitarist is really, really distinctive. Mm. Like Jeff could pull out a lot of Smith songs I haven't heard, and I would recognize them because of those two different that that sound that that right. pair of voice and guitar together is just so super powerful and he's completely right mark the, the guitarist here is just fantastic really good stuff all right uh i'm gonna go ahead and switch gears ever so slightly for 1987 okay so i said that um one of my rules was going to be that if there was an album that was my favorite album in that year uh, I was just going to go ahead and select that album, except for Billy Joel, The Stranger, which Jeff wouldn't <laughs> let me choose. Uh, this one, I think Jeff actually likes this record better than The Stranger, but he may still make fun of me. Okay. In 1985, there are two bands kicking around on the strip in L.A. Oh, no. They are Hollywood Rose and the L.A. Guns. Wow. Oh, and no. they are not getting signed. Or they're in like the they're in the turnaround cycle. They come together into a single band, cleverly named Guns and Roses, which is way better than their other option for a name, which was AIDS. That was one of the names that they kicked around as a band, oh, oh which really would not have worked out for them at all. There's so many like versions of this where they just keep making the right decision despite how unbelievably stupid they are. <laughs> so they they get signed and they actually so then they play together as this band and they're so awesome there's an immediate bidding war for them and it's geffen records versus chrysalis records and they take half the signing bonus from geffen because geffen records promises to leave them alone and let them do their own sound which by the way is an amazing call by them like yeah. instead of choosing label meddling they were like no no we're just going to do our own thing take half the money and go with geffen they record 
the tracks for the album Appetite for Destruction. Their original cover art for Appetite for Destruction has a rapist robot on the cover. Again, convinced not to release that as the cover. Good choice by them. I think that was a good move by them. Hey, Jeff, what's the first single that Geffen releases from this album? Wow, well, I don't know because it's not Sweet Child of Mine. Nope, that is the third single. Oh my God, what did they think? Just pause for a second. Oh, I know what it is. Americans and anyone who's ever had ears, they listened (laughs) to this record and they weren't like, let's release Sweet Child of Mine, which was a number one pop hit, like a gargantuan worldwide hit. And it's not the song I'm going to make Jeff play, but it's a fantastic song. It's one of the rare rock songs that you can play for my daughters. And they're like, wow, that was great. Do the rest of the song sound like that? And I'm like, I got some bad news for you. (laughs) I got good news. That song's great. The bad news is you're not going to care for the rest. Jeff, keep going, man. Uh, I'm going to guess it's Night Train. That's going to be my guess. Night Train is the fifth single. Okay. I I mean, I don't know. Welcome to the Jungle? Welcome to the Jungle is the second single. I knew that. And actually released twice as a single. Right. It was released as a single in 87. Nothing happened. Crickets chirping. I can't even imagine. Then they wait another six months. They get David Geffen involved. And he's like, listen, don't, don't play it in the regular rotation. Just play it in that weird metal show. They play Welcome to the Jungle on the metal show, which I can't remember. <laughs> Jeff might remember what the name is of the metal, the, the midnight Ricky metal. Ra- yeah, Ricky Rathman's show. What was that called? Anyhow, like Harbin- I actually watched that show. And yeah. I can tell you that the first time you heard Welcome to the Jungle, you're like, hope. Wait a minute. Like oh, headbangers was, ball. Headbangers yes. ball. People were like, hold the phone. Then it broke. Then they had Sweet Child of Mine. Then they re-released Welcome to the Jungle. That's still not the first single, which is the B-side is the song I'm going to ask Jeff to play, which is Mr. Brownstone. Oh, uh, they've had Mr. Yeah. Brownstone as the B-side. The A-side, it's so you easy. you got to be kidding me. I am not joking. That was the first single that Geffen wow. Records was like, we've heard this entire album, which is packed with fantastic rock songs and got like a, a, a number one hit and we're going to release It's So Easy. That's just shocking. That is just, <laughs> yeah. wow, I can't Third believe that single, didn't ruin them. Sweet Child of Mine, fourth single, Paradise City, fifth single, Night Train. Wow. It's really, really unbelievable. And again, I was, try- I was trying to pick the song that was most formulaic as the first single choice, but it's so easy. It's weird and dark and has no, no melody. And-, and also, I mean, like, I, honestly, I like that song. And I, I basically like this record. Like I listened to it again this week and I was like, wow, I, I pretty much like all of these songs. Um, yeah. Here's what I like about it. First, as everyone knows, I have a soft spot for hair metal. Like I actually chose. <laughs> we, we know, we know. I chose a Motley Crue album, um, <laughs> and I actually I legitimately like several songs off of Slippery When Wet. This is actually weirdly higher quality than that. Like it's not a hair metal band. Like it's an actual like Aerosmith remix. Um, it's produced. It's got. It's like a really weird story. Like they wanted Mutt Lang, but they couldn't afford him, so they had this like mix and match of like these unknown producers. It sounds fantastic. The guitar sound is great. One thing I would ask you to do if you don't like this record is just listen to the first 25 seconds of every song. The beginning of every one of these songs is so outrageously good and thoughtful. Um, like each one has got its own like little weird intro and then it kicks you into the song. And the songs are short and kick ass. 
I'm going to ask Jeff to play Mr. Brownstone. Oh, boy. Very, very, very emblematic of this. It starts out with a weird guitar part, and then it comes in with a Bo Diddley beat for yep. no reason at all. And you get 30 seconds of Bo Diddley beat, and then it kicks into the actual song. It's a great, and it's a three-minute, 28-second just banger. banger. It's got a slash guitar solo that blows your mind. Um, I loved, I didn't like, I loved this band at the time. I was saying um, Pearl Jam was the first band of contemporaries <clears throat> that was really my band. This couldn't be my band because they're so lame. They're like so LA and lame. Like yeah. there's a bunch of songs about like hot chicks. And, yeah. and this song is about taking heroin. I was like, this is just not speaking to me at all. All of that being said, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> I still ride for Welcome to the Jungle. When I go to a basketball game and they play it, I'm like, that's right. That's where we are now. We yeah. have arrived in the jungle. You're in the makes, jungle, baby. It just makes You're me so happy. Die. The Axl Rose voice thing is a little bit much, but still, you know, what can you say? It's a, it's again, it's actually humorously, this is a band that reminds you of the Smiths. It's like yeah. a super unusual vocal part that you can recognize in two seconds. Yep. And a fantastic guitar sound that you can recognize just boom right on top of it. I mean, um, you can make the argument that Guns N' Roses is Smith's music for dumbass metal yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, I mean, it really, sure. that's, that's not, not bad. A bad. That's not bad. Yeah, totally. Right. I just, you have picked my favorite song by this band and from this record. I couldn't agree more. I cannot believe how great this song is. I understand why it's not a single because you have to be a musician guy. Like you have to be a muso to dig into how difficult this song is to groove to it's oh all yeah totally. off beats and upbeats and it's three over two and but man do they this song packs a mighty wallop it's so. also got one of my favorite lyrics of all time not just one of my favorite guns and roses lyrics i don't worry about nothing why jeff i don't remember because worry it's a waste of my time, time. that's <laughs> right <laughs> so good. time <laughs> And to wait on the word time. To oh, yeah. Time. Totally. I mean, oh, did you hear that? It really makes you think, these guys. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have it. Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. And 
Mr. Robin, that takes me back to the University of Dayton. I indeed, I'm sure it does, Timmy. Fourth floor of Stewart Hall, which we named the jungle. Nice. <laughs> uh-huh. nice. Thank Very you. Nice. Thank you to Guns N' Roses on that. But it's super funny. I actually I went back when I did the list. I was like, dude, I'm gonna go ahead and choose use your illusion one or two or maybe both like i'm gonna do that that's a thing that i'm gonna do just to watch jeff's head explode and (laughs) it's super similar to the bad thing and it's actually really similar to the empire strikes back and godfather 2 thing i have a huge soft spot for albums that follow gigantic albums like one of the reasons i was rooting for bad was because michael jackson with his outside voice was like i just need to do better than thriller and i was like i'm with you brother I got your back. And that was exactly what happened with Guns N' Roses. They put out this weird double album, like separately released. And they were like, they actually, the liner note said, like, bury appetite. It's better than appetite. And there are seven, Jeff might disagree. There's seven great songs between those two albums. Unfortunately, there's like 28 songs (laughs) on those albums. And there's some howlers. Howlers. Really bad. Howling dogs. And also, it's just like, it's it's just like, uh, Jeff may not agree with this, but it's to me, personally, it's sad. Like, this was a band where this record is so great. So great. And then each of the next, like the GNR Lies, that's got a half dozen really good things on it. Um, this is a band that could have hung together and just the fame and all of the riches and all of the yeah. drugs and everything else just destroyed them. And a particular right. Axl Rose, like he, this is never the same after this, like just, just a brutal down downfall for that. And then, you know, he worked on Chinese democracy for 10 years. Jeff, do you remember the basis that he was working with during that time? Mr. Thomas Stinson from the replacements. Yes, the replacements basis. You know what Tommy Guns and Roses. You know what Tommy Stinson was doing before he became a, a full band member. He was he's the bass player in Puffy's band. Remember when P Diddy tried to do a rock band and oh, he, that's he, did, he did all about the Benjamins as a rock song, like as a like like a stomping rock song. That's Tommy Stinson on bass and vocals. He's the one going. It's all about the Benjamins, like doing the the uh, Jane's Addiction parody that's awesome good for tommy stinson that money's not going to make itself you know what i mean make that paper (laughs) i love tommy stinson (laughs) yeah i mean guns and roses was like i i love that song mr brownstone i you couldn't deny jungle or sweet child or paradise city but i could never go all the way in because um the meathead factor hurt me oh man super misogynistic too what also hurt me, and I mean, I wish I could say like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I actually think that was a little bit of a piece of it for me. Like that GNR Lies record, they cover a Manson song and they do a whole bunch of dumb shit that they shouldn't do. But what really bugged me about this band is all the people who didn't like rock and roll who liked this record. Like it just bummed me out that like it, it crossed over and I was like, well, yeah, I love rock and roll because I listened to, to Guns N' Roses. And I was like, oh, there's so many other great bands that have a little more to say and 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 reward a little bit more listening and this it was like it was the record of that year the way like Buena Vista Social Club was the record of its year oh or so like, dude I think that that's super unfair and I Hootie strongly was the, I Hootie strongly was the record disagree. of its year you know? it, 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 it's a great comparison to Slippery When Wet like these songs are so much better they're so much better written the parts are so much better oh it's Everything way better than Slippery When Wet oh, it's and like let a, alone Poison like, I mean, oh, in yeah. there, like they were so vastly superior to their genre. And honestly, this is the best Aerosmith record that came out 
since Toys in the Attic, right? Yeah, I mean, you this- about that actually. I, t- I mean, and you're actually it's the best Zeppelin record to come out since uh, since Presence too. I mean, it's great, and it really did take that. I mean, hair metal was was ridiculous to me. I do not have a soft right. spot for hair metal. I right. thought it was hilarious. I didn't get it at all. Like Rat, Cinderella, Crocus, all that stuff. I just was like, I, I thought I really thought people great white. Had, had hurt themselves. <laughs> I like some great white. This. And also, I like a piece of cherry pie. That's not something I'm against. But this is different. This is all, the worst song in this is better than the best song and all that other stuff, in my opinion. This is way, and it's Izzy Stradlin, I would argue. It's like, there's a secret great musician hiding in this band. Oh, but Slash, and, too. You got to give oh, it up Slash for Slash. Slash is amazing. Slash is fantastic. No, no, the no. Twin, the like, twin guitar attack. And actually, when you listen, like you listen to the start of Mr. Brownstone, yeah. you, you expect it to be a twin guitar attack where it's like, like a, a face like the way it is in Aerosmith there's like yeah. a faceless rhythm guitar and a fantastic lead guitar that is not the situation no, in GNR at all those yeah. guys work together and they shred yep yep no so, no no i i mean these songs the big the, the big songs of guns and roses deserve to survive they're they're excellent and they they were the best thing in this moment in that genre no question but i don't ever listen to them and i never listen to use one and two ever I mean, those are just, unless I'm watching Terminator 2 by accident, I do not hear those songs. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. a great reference. Hey, there was a, an urban myth, I remember, that the, the head of one record company, uh, Bet Geffen, that he could bring his band to, to more record sales. Um, and he picked Warrant and Geffen picked Guns N' Roses. And then they just promoted the hell out of their individual bands to win their personal bet. Did you guys ever hear that story? I haven't heard that, but I love that. And that sounds true because there's no reason why Geff, this record was out for a year uh-huh. before it hit. It came out in 87, but everybody heard it in 88. I did yeah, not hear this song. Keep pushing it, huh? I love well, that. And they are a significantly preferable to Warrant. I wonder what oh, the, yeah. I'm going to look this up right now, what the Warrant record was. It was cherry pie. It was, was cherry it? pie. Was it? That, they yeah. got a lot of push for cherry pie also. Yeah. So, so. There's like somebody tells a great story. I think it's I think it's Hall and Oates went into the to meet with the president of the record company. And uh, when they went in, there was a big pic, big poster of Warren's cherry pie behind the desk, and they were like, uh-oh. <laughs> Like I don't know if it's Hall and Oates, but it's some like no, no, it was Warren going in and it was Nirvana. It actually could be both. It might be both. Yeah, You're right. Both. That's yeah, really you're funny. Right. That's really funny. Uh-oh. All right. Uh, so it's my turn. And Do we, it. we're going over. So we're going to go ahead um, and, and stop this podcast. You know what we're going to do? We're going to draw a hard line right here. I'm introducing the hard line according to Terrence Trent Darby. Thank you, Timmy. Thank you. That's, That's great go. choice. That's a great choice. Which song you want? There's oh, only God. one. Please help me. Let's go. Introducing the hard line according to Terrence Trent Darby by Terrence Trent Darby. Kissing like a bandit, stealing time underneath the sycamore tree. But by the all since Valentine's to my sweet lover and me slowly but surely yeah the time is more than I knew sweetly softly 
greatest introductory oh. album titles ever oh yeah. yeah like hello i am i am emerging onto the scene introducing the hard line um give me i know we're running late but give me 15 seconds of if you let me stay oh i was gonna say i might like this one even a little bit more yeah. i love if you let me stay that was the one that sold me on him was uh this one i love this song sweetheart listen I know the last few pages haven't been good for the both of us And I've caused you a lot of grief But put those bags down, okay? Before you make a decision like that, please just listen to me Because I don't want you to leave I definitely don't want you to leave Just hear me out So great. I mean, I'm sure our listeners have thought about the Smiths in the last 10 years and thought about Guns and Roses in the last 10 years. But when was the last time you gave thought to Terrence Trent Darby? I think wishing, if- wishing Well is a top 10 of my songs that the girls like. They, oh, they right. love that one. I play oh, that right. song with great regularity. So oh, it's on good. my mind all the time. It's super funny. I like, I, I know that song. Um, the thing I like about Wishing Well, so that's the Stevie Wonder song, the second yeah. one that you play. Yeah, yeah. Wishing yeah. Well is a weird song. Like, I don't know who that is. That sounds like Terrence Trent Darby to me. You know <laughs> I mean, like, I can't tell who that is an imitation of. Like, it's an actual legit new sound to me. Yeah, that's true. I, but I also like the, the torch ballad, Sign Your Name on this record. Like, yeah, that's a yeah. one. It's a good record. It's a, he, if I could sing like that, I would do nothing else. I would sing like that all the time. Everything I did, I'd be like, I'm getting some cereal. Boys, he could sing his ass it's off really on good. this record. Uh, I had no idea he was American. I thought he was like French or British or something. He was, uh, I, I was looking at his Wikipedia page. He got dishonorably discharged from the U.S. military in 1983. Do you know why? Too much for si- kissing, for singing, all, singing all the orders. He was in Germany. He kept he kept going AWOL without permission to go sing in a band in That's Hamburg. Good. You oh. know who else was dishonorably discharged from the U.S. Uh, uh, Johnny Cash and Jimi Hendrix. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Oh. yeah. Huh. We put a, put a band together. Dishonorably discharged military guys. All right. Timmy, that's a good one, man. I that love that. Was good that was good choice. You're en fuego, by the way. You're oh, doing I, know. I gotta, I gotta share that one with the kids. I think they would like Terrence Trent Darby. Start with wishing well. I'm just telling you, my girls like that. That one's a magnet. All right, it's great. That little boop, 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 boop. It's just inexhaustibly great. So oh, yeah, also just the way it starts with oh. the kiss. Oh, so good. Your appetite is more than I can handle. You're like, yeah. oh, cool uh-huh. down, Terrence. <laughs> You're hurting my feelings. <laughs> All right, so it is Wednesday. Look at us. I've got a week 
to to put this podcast together. I am. Hopefully, you'll add more material so it'll be longer. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I won't know. I won't know if you edit it. So feel free to do whatever. <laughs> Just keep adding, adding. Here's another thought I have. All right, gentlemen, you've been Thank great you, tonight. Thank you. Well done, man. Okay, good job. Yeah, yeah man. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. If you're a working professional wondering what's next for your career, you've come to the right place. Whether you're looking for a promotion, growth, or a potential career transition, look no further. With over 30 years working in a variety of industries, I share my insider knowledge with those ready to get ahead on Career Advancement with Craig Ansell. Tune in to get your strategies for success.